I often tell audiences an untold story never heals. And so a lot of times what happens, especially in recovery um, or in 12 step, you know, prior to 12 step, there's something that you're doing <laughs> that necessitates that 12 step. And a lot of times uh, what happens is we shove down our story and it comes out in our behavior. And so the first step is to tell your story, but not to someone unsafe, but to someone safe. And so to really begin to, to pray and, and look around you to find someone who seems to be safe, to entrust a little tiny bit of that story, just let a little bit out and then let a little bit more and a little bit more through that circle of trust. And as you do, you lessen the power of that story over your life because it's no longer stuck inside your head and your soul and your mind, but it's out there in the free air and someone else is shouldering a tiny little bit of it for you and you're no longer alone. Hey there, you're dialed into Reboots, featuring stories about people who have been forced to start over in life or in business, all walks of life, anonymous or named, high profile or low down, stories with heart, soul, and grit. Because knowing and sharing our stories is essential for living a life of joy, experiencing healthy relationships, and impacting the world around us in a positive way. Here's your host, Tracy Winchell. Sexual abuse in the church as an institution. Yeah, how's that for a hot topic for episode R031 of the Reboots podcast, right? I'm about to oversimplify the issue in this introduction, but I don't feel too bad about it because our guest, Mary DeMuth, will help us unravel all of this in a scriptural, loving, and respectful way. So here's the topic in a nutshell. Some are angry with victims for speaking out while others are walking away from the church because of the way institutions have protected sexual predators for too long. There are a whole bunch of us who are angry, hurt, and we don't know what to do. I am so grateful for Mary DeMuth. She's a prolific author, prayer warrior, podcaster, and missionary, and she shares her story of repeated childhood sexual abuse. We talk in this episode about Mary's relatively new Pray Every Day podcast. She talks about why she asks for permission to pray for her listeners and readers. And she tells us a remarkable story of how she came to faith despite never hearing Jesus' name in her home except as an expletive. And Mary walks us through the circumstances that led her to believe for many years that her mother knew she was being sexually abused as a child. And we talk about why it is important for us, especially as Christians, to shift our default opinion that when someone says they have been sexually abused, we should be inclined to believe them at least enough to support them and ask difficult questions in an effort to find truth, especially where children are involved. We can no longer assume that people we know, like, and respect and are in a position of authority are incapable of predatory behaviors. Also in this episode, Mary shares the importance of forgiveness as a process without putting ourselves in a position to be re-victimized. And she answers an important question about how she has learned to forgive 
and to become more like Jesus despite everything she's been through? The short answer, it takes work. I have a ton of respect for Mary because she tackles these topics with an abundance of grace and love, even as she speaks truth to power. So let's get to it. Hey, Mary, thanks for inviting us into your life. I appreciate you taking time for us out of a really busy into a a holiday week. Hey, it's my pleasure. I love being here and I love to talk about Jesus. So this is a cool place to be. Well, me too, sister. I'm all about it. <laughs> <That's> good. <laughs> good. Um, I first ran across the the podcast that is now a legacy podcast as of this week, the first week in July, um, your restory show. And in fact, mm-hmm. I listened to several episodes as I was trying to figure out how I wanted to model reboots. And so you don't know, but you've been an inspiration to the reboots podcast already. And I thank you for that. Oh, that's so cool to hear. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how ReStory came to be, first of all, and then uh, how that's winding down. Yeah, well, the brand of it is still my branding on my website. So I'll continue to have ReStory things, um, continue to do ReStory conferences and things like that. The The podcast was my desire to... Um, to share with people ordinary stories of ordinary people who have gone through extraordinary circumstances and seeing God kind of, as you said, reboot them or give them a new story, restory them. And all of that started really the desire for hearing people's stories. It just came from my own life of, I just, I'm like a collector of stories. I love to hear people's stories. And, and I also felt like, um, as in my own journey of healing that I had gotten to a certain point where I realized that there was a, so what to my story, I had gone through so much healing and years and years of walking through drudgery, you know, of the, the muckety muck of healing and that there was, I didn't need to stay back there anymore, that I could, um, I could help other people with their stories by sharing my own. And I, I could also help the world by sharing other people's really unique stories. The reason we wound down the, the podcast is that I was able to personally vet all 106 episodes. So I knew every one of those people and I knew, um, I knew their story and I knew that it would have an impact it started to get to the place where I would have to start reaching beyond my own circle. And I just simply didn't have the bandwidth to vet people um, the way I would have wanted to. And so it just felt like it was time for me to stop that and to continue the work with Pray Every Day, which is my daily podcast where I pray for people. And I love that. And I want to talk about Pray Every Day in a second, but I I, I want to wind down Restory. Mary, I'm beginning to understand what you're talking about, the vetting process for the stories. Um, The Reboots podcast, I want to be a a little bit broader appeal. I I really love the the fact that I have several friends who are agnostic, atheist, um, they doubt, and I love that they rarely miss an episode. Um, I, I enjoy... Um, sharing entrepreneurial and creativity stories, um, but I, I, I'm I've been doing this for a year now. I've done probably close to forty interviews at this point. I'm getting to the point where people are contacting me and wanting me to wanting to be guests, and I 
I always want to default to hearing someone's story because someone who, who shares their story, I, I believe it's a privilege and an honor for me to hear that. But I'm getting some some stories now that I'm like, I'm I'm not, I don't believe you. Right. <laughs> exactly. And so I, I'm really praying my way through how to how to how to do that. You know? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, I, um, yeah. And I've, I've been listening to pray every day and it is a beautiful podcast. I've been sharing it. And, and as we work through, I'm, I'm a, a few days behind, but I told you before we went on the June 28th podcast episode is Matthew five forty three through 44. Five. It's, uh, I think I've got this pulled up so that I can actually read it. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who per- persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's a whole lot of stuff, Mary. <laughs> You know, you're in my yep. business when you're <laughs> when you're when you're reminding me that Jesus said I'm to love my enemies. Tell me tell me what it's like when you're just reading your way through scripture and you're is there ever a point where you go, Oh no, that's me. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Always. And in, in fact I'm I just finished reading through Psalm eighty four and uh yeah, I mean that was just I was definitely in the middle of that and I also did an exercise where I read the the book of Romans every day, 16 chapters every day for 90 days. And of course I found myself in the midst of that. When it comes to loving my enemies, I think that's an ongoing struggle. It's not like you get to this point and you're like, well, I'm just really good at loving my enemies and I am super awesome at forgiving. It's just because <laughs> someone will re-injure you or you'll have some sort of weird trigger or memory that kind of peels back the layer of your hurt and you have to forgive again and then you have to forgive again and you have to forgive yeah. again. And so it's it's kind of this ongoing process of learning um, to be like Jesus. So when he was on that cross, he was saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I mean, they were hurling insults his way and he was basically lovingly hurling forgiveness their way. And, uh, that he is my example. Um, if someone was crucifying me, I don't know if I'd have such benevolent thoughts toward them. So, yeah. So pretty amazing. And that's kind of the, 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 the process that, that you're, you're praying through, especially on, on, um, the, the love your enemies. There are many moments in my life when I find that to be objectionable, but there, there aren't any loopholes in that love one another. Right. And, and that doesn't mean that we should walk into predatory relationships or stay in, um, uh, in a relationship where we're being harmed. I, I absolutely do not think that that's God's highest will for us. So we need to be careful about right. the language that we use around that. Um, but it does mean that 
if you do detach from someone who's hurting you constantly, you're doing that because of love, actually, because you love that person too much to allow them to harm you and to allow them to be their worst self. And so you also pull away out of love because you know that if you're continually injured by somebody, you will not get to a place of forgiveness because you'll, you're just going to be beaten down, beaten down, beaten down and not able it's like they keep ripping open the wound and it will never, never heal. And so it actually is an act of love to pull away in order to heal and maybe possibly, you know, put your toe back into reconciliation cautiously. But um, it doesn't mean you don't love someone or you haven't forgiven your enemy if you're not like happily jumping right back in. Yeah. And we'll dive into that. This is not just some theory for you at all. And and as we share your reboot story, um, I think people will understand that um, that what you just said is um, profound. Um, but I, I want to kind of uh, put a bow on the Pray Every Day podcast and how that works. Just tell me a little bit about how it got started and how, how you um, work through that and put a podcast together every single day. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work. Um, I wrote a book called Jesus Every Day, I think it was my 35th book, and it released in December of 2017, so just this last year. And it is a, it takes you through the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And each scripture that you see is then prayed back to the Lord. So it's like the opposite of Jesus calling and Jesus calling. Jesus says stuff to you in Jesus every day. You say stuff to Jesus based on scripture. And so, um, I belong to a mastermind group of about 10 of us who are authors and marketers. And, uh, we have our annual retreat in January, which is just right after I released that book. And, uh, they actually, this is why you needed other people in your life. They were the ones that came up with the idea for it. And, um, and I thought, you know what, that's genius. That's really smart because I love to pray. I love to pray with my words typed, but I also really love to pray with my mouth. <laughs> so, um, it started February 1st and we've been going every single day, uh, throughout this whole year and beyond as long as I'm able. And, uh, it's been a real blessing. It's, it's beautiful. And I, I highly recommend it. Um, and I, I really enjoy, um, I believe it's Wednesdays when you have an international guest. And most of the time I have no clue what your guest is praying or saying, but there have been, there have been moments when their words moved me to tears and I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, I, I am just, it's a part of, my missionary heart and wanting people to see that God is God all over the world and he speaks every language. And, and so bringing that together has been really great. And if any listeners out there speak a second language or maybe English is their second language, I'm now starting to record on marriedamuth.com. If they just want to read the Lord's prayer in their language, um, there's a little microphone that they can click on and do it. They would just simply say their name, what language they're praying in, what country they're in. And then they just simply pray the Lord's Prayer in their language. And we're going to start putting those on the World Wednesdays uh, starting in August. So, yeah, that's been really, really fun and wow. uh, great to hear other languages. Just recently, just today, I got one in Swahili. So it's exciting. Wow. And I'm, I'm, I'll be anxious to, to get a link to that and put on, on uh, the show notes here. One last question about pray every day. I'm fascinated that you 
in your your email correspondence and on your website and in on your um, uh, podcast, you always ask for permission. It's may I pray for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been doing that since the mid 2000s. Uh, just like one day I thought, you know, I should ask if I should pray, if I could pray for them and then just go ahead and pray. I didn't wait for their answer. But um <laughs> But yeah, I've been praying for my people on my email distribution list for years and years and years. And now um, folks can get a free personalized prayer in their inbox every Monday for a year if they um, go to marydemuth.com. And it's one of the first things that you see that you can sign up for that if you're interested. It's been kind of fun to be able to use that insert first name on my MailChimp and know that I am sending out a prayer all over the world every Monday to all sorts of folks. Well, I'm in on that, ma'am. Yep. And um, before we get into your story, you, you, you said this is your 37th book. Yeah, my, that was my 35th, I think. My 37th is going to press next spring. My 36th releases October 1st called The Seven Deadly Friendships. So let's talk about habits here. How on <laughs> earth do you publish so many books? And there's such a variety. You've got fiction. You've got uh, the, the the prayer devotional. You've got a memoir. Um, you've got a recipe book. What the heck, girl? <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Uh, it is my full-time job. So that does help with the uh, timing of that. I've been writing about three books a year for the past 11 or 12 years. And um, I am very disciplined and I just make sure that I give the best time of my day, which for my brain is the morning to the most creative pursuits. And I try to do the less creative pursuits in the afternoons where I don't have to have as much of my brain on firing on all cylinders. <laughs> Well, I, I'm I'm a fan, and uh, I, I I admire you, um, and I appreciate you taking time to to visit with us. So, I guess now it's time to kind of dive into your reboot story. First of all, where do you share your story, and why? I share it pretty much anywhere, um, all over the country, all over the world, uh, on podcasts, on my website, in my books. That's there many times, um, and when I'm in front of a live audience as well. That wasn't always the case. I was terrified for years and years to let it out, terrified of, you know, who I would hurt by sharing it and <clears throat> just my own fear of being that vulnerable. But uh, I don't know what happened, but I, I guess what happened was I started writing little bits and pieces of it. And the more I wrote about it, the more um, joy came and the more freedom came. And so eventually it just led to a whole bunch of boldness that now I just don't care. I just tell it. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> you know, and I, I get that a lot um, from my friends who are in recovery, who share their stories. And I experience that. I just got my five-year coin this past week. Mm. Um, and it's part of my, it's kind of my 13th step to share my my story every year. And, and so when people uh, in recovery say, um, when I ask them why they share their story, they say, you know what, every time they share their story, um, it has a little bit less of a hold on them. It's a little bit less painful. Do you find that to be true? Yes, a little bit more is healed in the telling. And knowing that, too, you're not telling it just to emote on people or to throw up your story on them. You're telling it. The more you tell it, the more you tell it to bring life to others. 
And so I've learned to tell my story in a way that is about them and not about me and how they can learn from my story, how to heal and how to move on as well. Yeah. Bring life to others. That's awesome. Writing that down. Now you've got a lot of different facets to, to your reboot story. Um, was it a moment or a coincidence or a choice or a series of choices when you just decided that the the things that happened in your youth no longer you you didn't want that to have a hold on you was it like a moment of clarity or a series of choices definitely a series of um experiences with prayer and um there was something i knew when i met christ at 15 that i I didn't want to have the same life I had growing up. And so that gave me this insatiable desire to be okay, to be whole. And I did spend my college years just asking people who love to pray to pray for me. And so much healing happened during those years. And, and of course, much more has happened since then. But the bedrock or the foundation of all that started when I just didn't care. I just so much wanted to be better. And I knew that if I didn't get better, I would be turning to other things. And um, there was, you know, hundreds of things I could have become. And I just didn't want to do that. So I knew that I had to be okay. And I wanted to be a mom. I wanted to be a wife. And I wanted to love my children well. And I wanted them to look back on their childhood with joy and not with, you know, sadness or, you know, fear or whatever it is that I have to look back on mine. And and so it was this genuine pursuit. And, you know, people ask me, well, why are you so close to Jesus or whatever? And I'm like, well, it's been a pursuit. I mean, it's not, um, it, growth doesn't happen lackadaisically. You don't just sit on the couch and growth happens to you. You have to want it. You have to want to be, to be better. Jesus, you know, asked the guy at, you know, at the pool, he said, do you want to get well? And the guy didn't ever answer him. But I think it's an important question that Jesus asks all of us, do you want to get well? And I think a lot of times our dysfunction becomes our normal. And so our normal is just what we live with. And we don't realize there's more to it. Yeah, that's the dude at Bethesda who just said, yep. um, you know, he, he never, you're right. He never answered the question. You just kind of, I don't know if, whether it was a whine or a frustration. It was just like, all <laughs> he made excuses. Yeah, yeah. It's like, but I can't, but I can't. Like, That's not what I asked you. Yeah. It does take work to, uh, to get better. And it takes, um, uh, takes desire. You know, we say in recovery, recovery isn't for those who need it. It's for those who want it. It doesn't matter what mm. our hangup is. All right. So tell me your story. Yeah. So I was, um, I, my mom and dad were divorced around when I was one years old and my mom, uh, there was a period of time where I think I may have been homeless for a couple of years. And then she met another man in a laundromat and he was a violent man. And during the time living with them, um, I was in kindergarten and I, uh, every day after school, I would go to a babysitter's house. And at the babysitter's house, there were these two boys that lived next door, one boy and his friend. I, I'm not exactly clear on how their relationship was, but they would come and pick me up from the babysitter's house and she would let them. They were teenage boys and they would take me out and they would rape me in different ways, different places throughout that kindergarten year. And they told me a few things like, we'll kill your parents if you tell, or they would use a bad word to describe what they were doing. And I was a good little girl and I didn't want to say that bad word. And I was afraid to say it out loud. And 
And of course, I didn't want to kill my parents. So I just, I didn't tell anyone. But finally, they started inviting their friends. And there was something inside of me that snapped. And I decided, I have to tell someone or things are going to get really bad for me, which is a pretty amazing thought process for a five-year-old, if you think about it. So I tell my babysitter, not realizing that she's the one letting me go out there with these boys. And she tells me that she'll tell my mom. And so then I'm like, okay, cool. I'm safe. (laughs) But the next day the boys came again and they came again and they came again. And I thought that the babysitter had told my mom and my mom didn't care. Mm. So uh, she hadn't told my mom, but I didn't know that. And so I finally learned toward the end of my kindergarten career, I learned how to sleep. So I get home from kindergarten and I would just sleep all afternoon and all evening until my mom picked me up because it was the only way I could save myself from those boys. And then thankfully we moved away. But um, of course the mark of that pursued me and my mom got another divorce and married somebody else. And during that marriage, my biological father died, uh, which was really hard on me because he was that, you know, weekend dad that took you places and cared about you. And I was feeling so neglected that to have him, you know, be interested in me was really important. I didn't realize at the time he was actually grooming me for sexual abuse and was, uh, I was in a very sexually charged environment. Mm. Um, and so there was really no safe place for me. And by the time I was in the sixth, seventh and eighth grade, I just wanted to take my life because I just didn't know why I was on earth except to be abused and, and maligned and taken from sexually assaulted And so, um, I thought about it a lot. I didn't, I couldn't figure out how to do it without pain (laughs) and, uh, wrote poetry about it, but thankfully did not kill myself and, um, had a counselor in the eighth grade who was just a school counselor. And he just spent time with me and listened to me. I think he saved my life. And then in the ninth grade, I started attending young life where, um, I would hear about Jesus and, The only other time I'd heard about him was in a swear word. I didn't know that he was connected to Christmas. I didn't know he was connected to Easter. I had no, I had zero idea about Jesus, but every time at Young Life, the last five minutes, they would talk about Jesus. And I just knew that that was what I was missing. And so about a year later at a weekend camp, I um, invited Christ to invade my life in the most positive of ways. And he did do that. And So since that moment, since I was 15 years old, I've been on a healing journey from all this other stuff I just shared with you um, for all those years. And I would say that I became more able to share that story in my mid to late 30s and then have just been sharing it ever since. Well, first of all, I am so sorry that that has happened to you. Um, That should never, ever happen to another human being. And um, I I work with a lot of women who never figure out that they had no part or responsibility in that. And I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah, it definitely is not. Um, it was not a good thing. <laughs> so, so many things were stolen from me in those moments and a lot of fear as well. One of the things that um, I've either written or, or, or heard, seen you uh, write or something that you've said as I was preparing for this interview. Um, you talk about mourning, um, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, uh, the notion of a carefree life. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I think I'm finally getting to that place where I am being more childlike, but 
those first years of my life, I just had to be an adult and I never had a care. I can't remember a carefree moment. Um, I have a hard time with positive memories. I just, I can't seem to find them. There's a few, a, a, a few, which I'm grateful for, but, um, yeah, the fact that I never got to be a child, the fact that I always had to be looking over my shoulder and running. I was running all the time, always afraid that someone was going to grab me and so uh, worried about strangers, so worried about being attacked. Um, I was a latchkey kid, so I would come home from school in second, third, fourth grade and to an empty home. And I was I was terrified. I I would lock the door behind me and my heart would race and all of that. So I just had never had, I never had anyone really take care of me or try to make things better for me. And so that's good in the sense of I became very self-sufficient, but as a Christ follower, not good because I've become very self-sufficient. <laughs> so yeah, not as I relying on him. Yep. Yeah, I, I'm I'm Madam I do it a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Um, what's your relationship, or was your relationship with your mom like during those years when you had no idea she'd never been told? Uh, that was for um, ten years. So I told her after I became a Christian that that had happened, and I had to tell her the story several times to convince her that it happened. She didn't believe me the first couple of times I told her, but for whatever reason, I needed her to believe me. And so I just kept telling it until she did. Um, she reacted. She, she wanted me to get counseling, but her idea of counseling was not one that would have been helpful for me at the time. And so, uh, I, I, I'm not against counseling at all, but it just at that particular moment in time, it was not the right place for me. And, um, and I was only 15, so there was oh <laughs> so much, you know, so much to untether that I just, I, I wasn't ready for it. And, um, yeah, so the moment I, well, we've always had animosity in our relationship, but the moment I became a Christian and the animosity increased tenfold. So we've had a tumultuous relationship for a very long time. And it's only been in the past couple of years that we've been able to kind of call a truce and been able to be in some sort of relationship with one another. Okay. I've got two things I want to, I want to follow up on. Um, what advice do you have for a parent or any adult who, who a, a, a young woman or a girl comes up and says this horrible sexual abuse has happened to me over a prolonged period of time. I can't imagine how, painful it was when she didn't believe you. So what mm -hmm. is an adult to do when and if and when we are ever told a story like this from anyone, especially a child? Well, remember that it is excruciating to tell that story and to always err on the side of belief. The three words that will change someone's life are, I believe you. And it would have been so much better for me if my mom said, I believe you. But I think she just didn't want to believe me. She didn't want to believe that that had happened to me. And um, I think that's part of the problem in our culture. We want to live in a happy world. And we don't want to believe that our next door neighbor who we loved or that pastor over there or <laughs> that upstanding citizen over there is actually a deviant and is preying on people. And so we would rather um, disbelieve a victim than believe that someone in some sort of position of authority or power has done something like this. But it is always better to err on the side of belief if the person that comes to you is a child 
uh, it behooves you. Um, you may not be a mandatory reporter as a as a clergy member or as a counselor or as a teacher, but I almost would say you are a mandatory reporter. You need to report that to authorities. In Arkansas, we are. Um, and even as a volunteer in Celebrate Recovery, I am a mandatory reporter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, it's an offshoot of of the church. So right. my my next question is, um, you know, you talked about uh, how when you became a follower of Jesus, your relationship with your mom got worse. What's this mm-hmm. notion then that we think Jesus instantly fixes everything? Mm-hmm. What's up with that? Yeah. So when I tell my story, I say, and then I met Jesus at 15 and everything was perfect. Amen. And I start walking off the stage and people (laughs) laugh because they know that's not true, but we believe it's true. We believe, or we've sold the lie that it's true. And Jesus says in the world, you're going to have tribulation, but take care. I've overcome the world. So he promises his presence in the midst of the struggle, but he doesn't promise that the struggle is going to be removed from us. And so that has, so the, the difference then between me who suffers and one who suffers without Christ is we both suffer. We both have the same pain, but I have this wellspring of help in the person of the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. So that's the only difference. Uh, some people are going to have easier lives than me, and some people are going to have harder lives than me, but we're all 100% of us are going to struggle. And the question becomes, where do you go when things are hard? Yeah. Okay. Um, let's pick up your story again. Um, you, you, you go through, through college, um, as, um, a a volunteer and a participant in young life. Is that right? Yes, I did do that. And, um, always just wanted to be in some sort of ministry, really excited about that. I ended up becoming a school teacher, um, got married, started having children, stayed home to raise the kids, um, but I uh, have been writing the moment I started staying home with the kids. So wow. I've been working on that. I, I wrote in obscurity for about a decade where I just wrote miles and miles of unpublished unpu- words. But then um, starting around the turn of the century in the 2000s, uh, I started dusting off that dream more seriously. And that's when I started writing for publication and then met an agent, started selling my books in 2004. At what point were you a church planter in France? Yeah, so my husband uh, went to Dallas Theological Seminary with a degree in theology and church planting. And uh, when he finished up in 2004, we packed our bags and our kids, (laughs) thankfully, and we went (laughs) to the south of France until almost 2007. And we um, were church planters in the Nice area during that period of time. Wow. Um. Which means that when when you when you write when you use your platform about um, topics related to the church and sexual abuse, um, you speak from all kinds of authority. Your your latest piece, I think, is called "The Abused: The Church Must Do Better." Uh, mm-hmm. it, it is do you? Is that difficult for you to do, given you're an insider? Does that make you sort of an outsider? Does that cause pressure for you personally on, quote, the system of the church? Sometimes, definitely. Um, But I have a very good relationship with uh, our head pastor at the church that we attend, and he's been very supportive of what I've done. And I've even talked about 
the Southern Baptist Convention and some of the abuses that have gone on there. And I actually go to a Southern Baptist church. So yet I've kept him in the loop for all of that. And he's been a, a great supporter of, of me and they have, the church has allowed and given space for the Restory Conference a couple of years in a row. And so there's, it's been actually really good. And I think that's part of the the joy is I haven't abandoned the local church. I actually still believe in it. I know that there are people out there that are dying. They are hurting from what has happened within the church. And, and I've had some of those experiences and have great empathy for that. And that's why I speak out because I think the church can do better. So what, what do local churches need to do? What, what does somebody like me, what do I do to root out this this sin and this arrogance. So how do, how do we, how do we help uh, give voice to this, this movement that sexual abuse of women does not belong in the church? It's not okay. Well, one of the things that I think about um, that will resonate with you as well and what you're trying to do on your podcast is I think we need more stories from the pulpit of people who've gone through struggle because so many times people walk in the front door of church and they have this assumption because of what's preached from the front that everybody is okay and fine and no one struggles with anything and everyone's you know, perfectly put together and they don't struggle. And maybe that's because I go to church in the South. I don't know if that's, you know, throughout the whole United States, but, um, but I have encountered that in the South as a Northern girl coming to the South. That's something I've seen. And um, so I think one of the solutions is to have pastors, to encourage pastors to let people share um, vetted testimonies of what God has done. I would love to see someone talk about domestic violence from the pulpit, from someone who's actually experienced it and gotten out of it. I would love to see how, um, I would love to see a church deal well with sexual abuse in their midst. Usually it's deny, 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 and hope that they don't get prosecuted, you know? So that's not really very helpful. I'd rather have a church say, hey, this happened. It's awful. We're paying for counseling for the victims. We've fired the guy. We've contacted the authorities. And that, to me, being more um, authentic is actually more invitational to a victim than cover up, cover up, cover up. Well, yeah. Um, Mary, your story is it's it's difficult to hear. Um, but I've read enough to know I've listened to your story. I, I hear your voice. Um, I know that at some point there was redemption in your suffering. So, um, I, and I, there's no doubt in my mind that there is someone, a, a young man or a, a woman who has experienced sexual abuse listening to this podcast right now. Um, and you have this unique ability to offer them hope that I cannot. So, um, what good in your life exists today that otherwise wouldn't have existed with out of all of this? I would say a deep well of empathy and an ability to hear people's stories in a way that validates them so that they can get better. And there's no greater joy than being able to pray for someone or listen to someone or validate a story of someone and having it have the light turn on 
in their um, life and a corner to be turned all because of just the simple act of being able to say, I've walked that path. I am so sorry you've walked it. And how can I help you journey toward wholeness and healing? What advice or encouragement do you specifically have for someone who hasn't begun to reconcile a story like this? What's, what's their first step and their next step? I often tell audiences an untold story never heals. And so a lot of times what happens, especially in recovery um, or in 12 step, you know, prior to 12 step, there's something that you're doing <laughs> that necessitates that 12 step. And a lot of times uh, what happens is we shove down our story and it comes out in our behavior. And so the first step is to tell your story, but not to someone unsafe, but to someone safe. And so to really begin to, to pray and, and look around you to find someone who seems to be safe, to entrust a little tiny bit of that story, just let a little bit out and then let a little bit more and a little bit more through that circle of trust. And as you do, you lessen the power of that story over your life because it's no longer stuck inside your head and your soul and your mind, but it's out there in the free air and someone else is shouldering a tiny little bit of it for you and you're no longer alone. Are there characteristics of somebody who, who, who might be safe? Are there maybe some, some subtle questions to ask three or four people to see if, hey, maybe that's my safe person? Yeah, I've written about that extensively in a book called Not Marked, Finding Hope and Healing After Sexual Abuse. There's a whole list of questions people can ask and find out about if someone's safe or not. But I would say trust your gut, even if you've had a problem with your gut in the past, but trust your gut and uh, watch them over the long haul. So um, not in a creepy stalker way, but just <laughs> watch how they interact with other people. See um, if they've been able to maintain a long-term friendship with other folks. Because sometimes there's these people that are kind of fly by night. They fly in spectacularly and then they fly back out. Uh, you want one of those steady people who has been around for a while. Um, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with asking another friend to say, Hey, um, what do you think about that person? Or, uh, also, you know, another safe person could be a counselor. Absolutely. Um, they are bound by law to keep your secrets. So if you have a little money and you begin to ask around about what counselors are helpful for your particular stress, then that also could, can be a really good safe place to share your story. Do you have a, a specific tool, uh, a book or a scripture, uh, a film, anything that you would recommend to someone who is either dealing with an issue like this or maybe they know or love someone who has been abused and they're wrestling with how to come to terms with it? Yeah, there is a book I would recommend called Changes That Heal by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. That was the book that really began um, a deeper process of healing for me. And it's just extremely wise and helpful book. Those two are amazing. Um, they speak every uh, year at the Celebrate Recovery Summit. And oh my gosh, I've learned so much. I sat mm -hmm. in in in. Uh, the chair two years ago and heard them say recovery is nothing more than sanctification. It is the process of sanctification in Christ. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. And right there, I believe is where the idea for reboots was born. So mm, cool. They're kind of cool dudes. Mm -hmm. 
Is is there anything else that um, we need to talk about before I, I, I let you get back to a, a busy Friday afternoon? You know, I, I guess just to underscore, and I know you have a variety of different kinds of listeners, but to underscore the the power of prayer and being able to unleash or um, let go and surrender your story to God and, and to let him move and change and heal. I mean, that's why I stand here today is only the ability of him to change a life. Um, I know that in the recovery process, they talk about a higher power and, and Jesus is that for me, he's that higher power who's changed my life so much. Me too, my friend. I'm so grateful for your time, Mary, and um, I wish you all the best. And um, if if you need any help at all um, that I can provide, um, I'm always happy to help you, and I will pray for you. And I completely and totally grant you permission to to pray for me every day. And I thank mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. You are welcome. Thanks so much. I'm so grateful for Mary's transparency and sharing painful memories of her childhood so that others might begin to heal from sexual abuse and from feeling betrayed by people and institutions they thought would lead them to a closer relationship with God. If you're seeking clarity or wisdom about prayer, abuse, forgiveness, writing, or faith— I can guarantee you're going to want to spend some more time with Mary's words and ideas, her book, her webs- books, her website, her podcast. You can you can find more at Mary Demuth. That's D E M U T H dot com. Most certainly subscribe to Mary's Pray Every Day podcast. It is a terrific way to spend some time in Scripture and prayer for a few minutes every day. And here's kind of how I listen to Mary's Pray Every Day. Uh, I batch listen for 20 to 30 minutes at a time um, when I'm walking or driving or um, just kind of working around the house. If you know someone who could benefit from hearing Mary's story, would you share it, please? Meantime, show notes for this episode are at rebootspodcast.com forward slash episode three one. I'm Tracy Winchell. We'll see you next time. Deo Valente.